listening to Law and Gospel on this September the 13th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and there are three readings for this coming Sunday, namely the 17th Sunday after Pentecost on September the 19th, 2021. And the readings are from Jeremiah 11, James 3, and Mark 9. We're going to take a look at two of them today, Jeremiah 11 and Mark 9. Now, in Jeremiah 11, we have much the same problem that we had last week. Is Jeremiah talking about himself, or is he really speaking for someone else? Verse 18 says, The Lord made it known to me, and I knew that you showed me their deeds. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me. They devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living and his name be remembered no more. Now, that could be Jeremiah talking about his own ministry, because, boy, the leading religious leaders at that time, who were now worshiping other gods, did not like what Jeremiah was saying. Uh, He was saying things like, well, Jerusalem is going to be attacked, and the temple is going to be destroyed. And that didn't sit well at all with the people. And they devised schemes saying, let us destroy the tree, Jeremiah, with its fruit, namely what he was teaching. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. Now, that's very close, if not identical, to what the people were saying about Jesus Christ at that time, when Jesus was on earth. He was considered a tree, and the fruit, his message, that he was the Messiah, that people became righteous, not through their works, but through faith in him. This was a destruction, therefore, of the religion of that time by many of the so-called rabbis, scribes, Pharisees, who were teaching that if you were able to obey the ceremonial laws, you were saved. And Jesus, of course, contradicted that. And so this... verse from Jeremiah about destroying the tree with its fruit was what the folks in Jesus' day were attempting to do. But verse 20 says, O Lord of hosts, now the word hosts can refer to the angels, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind. And a number of times, Jesus, in his ministry, knew the heart and the mind of people. He knew what they were thinking, and 
he expressed himself in that way. The promise is, in verse 20 of Jeremiah 11, Let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. That's something that both Jeremiah and Jesus did, committed their cause to God the Father. And, of course, that was trust in the Father. And vengeance was brought upon uh, the people in Jeremiah's day. They were taken into Babylonian captivity. And vengeance was brought upon the people in Jesus' day. Remember, the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans because they were just fed up with what the Jews were saying. So, God heard Jeremiah. God heard Jesus. And they asked him that their cause be committed to him. And that's what happened. Now, in the case of Jesus, he was worse than a Babylonian captivity because the first words from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God had forsaken Jesus as the sin bearer of the entire world. He paid for the sins of everyone. But at the end of the cross, what does Jesus himself say? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And when he died, he was taken in the spirit with the thief on the cross to heaven. So when you read the Old Testament, as Jesus did, there were many passages, such as this Jeremiah one, where Jesus knew that as he committed his cause to his father, that things would work out, and they did. The greatest workout was his resurrection from the dead. That's Jeremiah eleven eighteen to 20. The gospel is Mark 9, 30 to 37, talking about that the disciples were passing through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anyone to know. Now, why would Jesus not want people to know that he was present? Well, it's explained in verse 31. For he was teaching his disciples. You know, the closest analogy I can give to this is a seminary. In a seminary, you have students who have committed themselves to teaching the Word of God as pastors. Now, occasionally, you may have lay people take a course, but normally the discussion is between a professor and the seminarians, and the public are not really part of those lectures because those lectures 
are done with the seminarians to give them an increased knowledge of what the Bible is saying so that they can then go out into the field and teach what God really means by specific verses from the Bible. That's very important to understand that the teaching of the church is based on the Word of God. It's not based on our reason, because our reason cannot fathom the Word of God. That's why it takes the Holy Spirit to give us not only faith, but to help us to understand the insights of the Scripture. Two people can read the very same passage in the Bible, and they're not convinced at all of agreement. So you get a passage like, and we've used this before, the rich man, what must I do to enter eternal life? Some people take Jesus seriously, that we need to spend all our money on the poor, and then we will have treasure in heaven. That was part of the reason for the monasteries and the nunneries, that verse in the Roman Catholic Church. But as Luther discovered, no, that was a misunderstanding of what Jesus was saying. Jesus was giving law to that rich man. And law means that you are told to do something that you are unable to do. And therefore, the rich man went away sorrowful. Remember, the disciples said, well, if he can't be saved, who then can be saved? And Jesus said it plainly. With men, it is impossible. So you have different understandings of the same verses. And that's why it's important to have a pastor who understands not only the Greek and the Hebrew, understands the culture of that day, and understands the distinctions between law and gospel. So Jesus is now telling his disciples, teaching them privately about what is about to happen. And he says, as to what is to happen, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Now, there's a few things to learn about this verse. The Son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite titles about himself. We hear it in Daniel, where the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father on the throne, sends a Son of Man into the world to redeem the world. That's Jesus Christ. And as the Son of Man, that means he has become incarnate. He has taken on human flesh. For only a human can die for a human. And that's the purpose of what Jesus is doing. 
So he's telling his disciples that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And we know when that occurred. After the Last Supper, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is delivered into the hands of men through Judas, who betrays him. Judas made a deal with the Sanhedrin, so to speak, the leading chief priests, and he would give the body of Jesus into their hands. And they did that at night because they were really afraid of what the people would do if they did it publicly. In fact, in the trial, Jesus says, how come you came and took me this way? At any time, when I was teaching in the temple, you could have taken me and brought me to you, but you did not. Instead, you do this in this underhanded way. And the Sanhedrin, very interesting what happened here. Jesus really was not found to be guilty of a crime that necessitated execution. In fact, the people would argue as to what they witnessed, and their witnesses were not consistent. The Sanhedrin had the purpose of deciding whether a person should be put to death. And there was not sufficient evidence from the witnesses because they contradicted each other. And therefore, how did the Sanhedrin come to the conclusion that Jesus should be put to death? It occurred because Jesus answered the question of the high priest, referring to himself as God. I am who I am and saying that they will see him coming down from the clouds. The high priest tore his clothes because, from his point of view, that was blasphemy. And that was a charge that was sufficient to have Jesus crucified. And the chief priest said to the Sanhedrin, We do not need witnesses because he has given us sufficient witness from his own words. And that's very important to remember. Why would Jesus speak that way, knowing that they would understand that as something for which to be crucified? Because God was in charge. He was in charge of his being put to death for the sins of the world. And therefore, Jesus gave the witness that resulted in his being put to death. Now, they went to Pontius Pilate because the Sanhedrin at that time were not permitted by the Romans to execute anyone. But by going to Pontius Pilate, the charge of blasphemy was also a crime against Rome because 
Jesus was saying he was king of the Jews. And, of course, in Rome, that was a title that the emperor would have taken for himself. He was, in a sense, God to the Romans. And therefore, the people said to Pilate, if you don't allow him to be crucified, we're going to the emperor and tell him that here is a man who said he is king, and you didn't do anything about it. Now, the other point we want to make is the English says the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. Now, that's a translation that gives the impression that Jesus died because he was killed by those who crucified him. No, Jesus died because he permitted himself to die. Remember, he gave up the spirit. And the centurion was so amazed at that, that he said, truly this man must be the son of God. And he used the title that was supposed to be used only for Caesar. So the centurion was putting his own life in his own hands when he referred to Jesus with a title that Caesar said was his own. And why did he say that? Because if there was anything that someone being crucified desired, it was an end to the pain and therefore they wished they would die. But no one had been able to do it. You would often last two, three, four days on the cross in pain until you were finally unable to breathe properly and you suffocated on the cross. Jesus died very quickly in six hours because he gave up his spirit. He allowed himself to die. Now, the disciples heard that. And it says in verse 32 of Mark 9, they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. This shows the level of faith of the disciples. They loved Jesus. They knew he was special. They had seen him do miracles, feeding 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. They had seen him still a storm on the lake and wondered, who is this that wind and wave obey him? The disciples had a faith that Jesus was special, but they had not recognized that the Old Testament prophecies that he would be pierced in hands and feet, or when you take a look at Isaiah, that he would be whipped, people would spit in his face, that his beard would be pulled on, those things just didn't jive with them. And therefore, they didn't understand 
the clear prophecy that Jesus would die in Jerusalem, but that he would also rise from the dead. In fact, there was the woman, Mary, who wiped the feet of Jesus and used costly perfume. Now, the disciples, including Judas, well, that money could have been spent to help the poor. But Jesus said, you had the poor with you always, but not me. And she is doing this for my burial. She believed what Jesus said because she knew from sitting down with Jesus and hearing the Bible study that he would be put to death and then rise three days later. What faith she had. So, the text goes on, they came to Capernaum, and he asked them what they were talking about on the way. And they were arguing about not what Jesus had said, they were arguing about who was the greatest disciple. So he sat down and called the twelve, again teaching them. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then Jesus gives an example of how people are first. He took a child, put him in the midst of them, took him in his arms, and said, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. What's Jesus talking about? How do we receive our children in his name? Who can forget about infant baptism? In infant baptism, the pastor says, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They're baptized into his name. And as Peter says in the Pentecost sermon, they receive two gifts, the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In that way, they receive not only Jesus, they receive not only the Holy Spirit, but as Jesus says, receives not just me, but him who sent me. That is why the baptism formula speaks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is God's way of making you his child. You are not the Son of God in the sense of being begotten. Only Jesus has that. But you are the Son of God by being adopted. Nothing a child does who's a few months old contributes to the adoption. It is a decision of the parents. 
and done legally. Baptism is therefore a legal sacrament by which we bring our children to Jesus, and he receives them, and they receive not only him, not only the Holy Spirit, but also the Father. They're children of God. And as children of God, they receive all the promises from Jesus Christ. And the greatest promise, of course, is the forgiveness of sins, which means they are no longer held accountable for the sins that they do. Because Jesus is held accountable. That's the reason why the Father deserted him in the sense that he was paying for the sins of the entire world. Therefore, we give thanks to God for what Jesus has done because it's something that really should surprise us. Christianity surprises us not only because it goes against human reason, but it is only understood through the faith of the Christian, a faith that they did not invent, a faith that they did not choose, but a faith that was given to them by the Holy Spirit. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, We'll take a look at a hymn, and it talks about what we talked about today. Lord of glory, you have bought us. We'll discover how Jesus bought you and brought you into his holy kingdom. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.